Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Times of crisis can be unmanageable. Without knowing what to do, where to turn, the only one that we can seek is God. You're listening to Finding Wisdom in Crisis by guest minister, chaplain, and LaGrave member, Tricia Bosma. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here with you this evening. As um, Pastor Yonker said, I'm Trisha Bosma. My family and I have been members here for um, over a year now, but you know, with COVID and um, it's just been a crazy time. Um, but it's a joy to be with you here this evening. We're going to be reading uh, from 1 Corinthians 2, that whole chapter, and a little bit into the third chapter. I'd like to just set up the context here. Uh, before I do that, 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church in response to a letter they wrote to him. You see, the church in Corinth is going through a really hard time. They have numerous um, situations that have come up in their congregation, and they're not sure how to move forward with them. To make matters worse, the people in Corinth, in that church, they've, they've kind of divided themselves up into these factions or intellectual groups where they are each following a different apostle who has been through there preaching and baptizing. And so they're somewhat pitted against each other in different ways of thinking about their problems. And so this is the context into which Paul is writing. 1 Corinthians 2. And so it is, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. 
The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows the thoughts, a person's thoughts, except their own spirit within them? And in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish, foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are not discerned, or they are only discerned through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Have you ever noticed how women who have become mothers like to tell their labor and delivery stories? <laughs> right? One relates how she has labored for 28 hours and she felt as if she were possessed because of all the snapping and the demanding and maybe even swearing at her husband. Another one chimes in saying, I was in labor for 48 hours, but then had to deliver by cesarean section because my baby's heart rate plummeted. And yet another says, I pushed and I pushed to get my son delivered, but I ran out of energy and he had to be vacuum extracted. Now we tell these childbirth narratives because they are often stories of crisis. And as humans, we have a need to make meaning out of our crisis. They are stories of mothers, and I suspect the fathers too. They are being faced with uncertainty. Every confidence and certainty about who you are, how your body works, what you're capable of, and even control over your own being, well, it's just gone for a while. In general, crisis is what is experienced 
when what you know or believe to be true doesn't match what you are experiencing. And in our passage today, the people to whom Paul is writing and the church itself in Corinth, they are in crisis. They are in what I call a first-degree crisis. It's a kind of deer-in-the-headlights crisis. The presence of the various apostles and their factions and camps of followers have left them incapable of making godly group decisions about numerous unsavory situations which have arisen in their community. They are embroiled in conflict. Conflict which has left them in crisis, uncertain of what to believe and how to move forward as a church. Like a deer, staring your car down in the middle of the night, uncertain. Do I move forward or do I retreat? What they have known about being a church together about being followers of these various apostles, well, it just isn't working anymore. They are unable to move forward on their own, so they decide, hey, let's write to Paul. I hear he's in Ephesus right now. He'll tell us what to do. However, this is much more than just a church matter. On an interpersonal level, they are feeling challenged by one another. We just read in chapter 3 that there is jealousy and quarreling among the people. It seems that when people bound in Christian koinonia have diverging opinions, there are bound to be arguments and hurtful words spoken to one another. One thinks they are right and that the other is wrong. The arrival of Paul's letter, with its authority, undoubtedly that crisis is going to amplify. For he comes down quite harsh on the uh, people in Corinth. This is a second degree of crisis that I call the Fonzie crisis. You see, Happy Days was a sitcom that ran from 1974 to 84, and it featured that beloved character Arthur Fonzarelli, better known as Fonzie or sometimes just the Fonz. Fonzie was a cool dude, and he dressed like James Dean with his tight Pants, tight jeans, a white t-shirt, and a black leather jacket. That was really cool. And although he was a high school dropout, he struggled when he was confronted about being wrong about something. And in those moments of crisis for him, he could hardly, or he couldn't even get the words out of his mouth. He'd say, I'm And finally, he'd settle on a different version, saying, well, I'm not as right as I thought I was. Being confronted with our wrongness, our brokenness, our sin, is a tough pill to swallow. 
for us mere humans and immature Christians. Uncertain with how to handle the reality of incorrectness, it can leave us in a state of crisis. Uncertain of who we are if we're wrong. Uncertain of what we actually do believe if we're wrong. And how do you move forward when you know you're wrong? Well, I'd like to offer a third degree of crisis that we humans can experience. It's crisis that occurs when we have had experiences of profound loss. These experiences deconstruct the very foundations of our lives. The mother of three young children, ages four, three, and one, she rises on a normal Thursday morning. Knowing that there are things that are expected of her and her desire to get things done, she decides to leave their home later that morning. So strapping her three children into their car seats, she proceeds. Based on the life that she has known, what she knows, she has no reason to have concern. However, she is soon to discover that what she knows is going to be drastically altered and the foundations of her life shattered. For on that wintry day, her SUV swerved out of control and hit a, car, hit a curb and flipped and landed upside down in a four-foot-deep retention pond that just happened to be by the roadside at that place. Now, we all know that car seats are safety seats, unless, that is, your children are strapped in them while being submerged upside down in pond water that is iced around the edges. This mother woke up that morning knowing life through what she had experienced. She had experienced that it was predictable. Maybe even she thought it was mundane as a mother at times. She had experienced that life was warm and comfortable, evidenced by the hugs and kisses of her three children. But these experiences were replaced with new ones that day when all three of her children died of drowning. She now knows the destructive waves of grief she knows the iciness of what loving feels like when the objects of your love are forever gone. She knows chaos from her own powerlessness to make the pain of her broken heart stop. And she knows the hardness of blame and shame assigned to her by herself and others. Her experience has flipped her life upside down and has deconstructed what she thought she knew, what she could count on, who she was, what her purpose was. It's the kind of experience that can shatter your understanding of a loving God. It's the experience that causes you to freeze and to ask, wait, 
How can this be? That's not the way I've understood life. Am I wrong about life, about myself? Am I wrong about God? And it leaves us questioning our own levels of knowledge and wisdom and so uncertain about how to move forward in this life. It's the crisis that psalmist referred to in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The psalmist says that God's response to us in these times of violent deconstruction is this. Be still and know that I am God. Well, who is this God? And can we really know who he is? Especially when confronted with the crisis of misguided understanding. Well, Paul says, yes, yes, we can know. But we don't gain this profound wisdom through the ways of knowledge found in this world. Paul reminds the people of the Corinthian church that none of them were especially smart by the world's standards. However, this isn't the issue. The issue is that they all lack spiritual maturity and they lack a complete understanding of who God is. But in their quest for wisdom, spiritual wisdom, they'd, been, they'd gone searching in all the wrong places. Paul asserts that spiritual wisdom and spiritual mysteries, that which can't be seen, heard, or even humanly conceived, is only possible through the Holy Spirit. Within five verses, Paul references the Holy Spirit ten times. It seems that wisdom, real wisdom, comes from knowing and experiencing God through the Spirit. It's not through knowledge found in our various cultures. That indeed led to a crucified Jesus. It's through the Spirit wanting to nurture their trust in this source of wisdom, wanting to grow their trust in the Holy Spirit. Paul presents a picture of the inner working of our triune God. He says that as surely as our own spirits know our inner workings, as intimately as we know ourselves, that third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, searches the deep things of God and knows the thoughts of God. So while you and I, we're prone to hide ourselves, the Holy Spirit is able and prepared to reveal the heart of God to us. 
Now in his book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller states that the inner life, that inner life of the triune God is utterly different than ours. The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. The perfect mutual love that the three persons of the Trinity have for each other, it binds them so tightly together that in essence they are one God. And Keller goes on to explain that it is often said, God is love. And many people assume that that means that God favors love. But it really means that love is at the very core of God's being. Other-centered, self-giving love is at the foundation of the deep things of God, the heart and motivation of God. Wisdom, known through the Spirit, is rooted in God's identity of perfect, mutual love. Now, Paul explained that if their quest for knowledge would take them to the depths of our God through the Holy Spirit, we would have the wisdom needed for discernment. And John 16 confirms this. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. We see evidence of a perfect dance of love, giving and receiving truth. We know that our God is rooted in love and the Holy Spirit can empower our wisdom to be rooted in this other-centered love also. It is the wisdom needed to discern tangible decision-making, relationship-mending, and also insight into those existential crises. But it is only possible if our quest for knowledge is characterized by the Holy Spirit's ongoing work in our mere human lives. So wisdom comes from knowing God through the Spirit. But John Calvin also states that we can know God through better knowing ourselves. And Paul keeps referring to us as mere humans. I'm not so sure I like that. It sounds kind of pitiful. But as mere humans, unfortunately, our human faculties will fail us as we attempt to make sense of these crises, especially the hard ones like conflict in the church and personal crisis. 
The canons of Dort remind us that as humans, we were created in the image of God, which gives us minds, and I quote here, that possess truth and sound knowledge of the creator and spiritual things. In will and heart with righteousness and in emotions with purity. However, the fall has left us impossibly compromised. Now the human being, and I quote again from the Canons of Dort, has blindness, terrible darkness, futility, and distortion of judgment in the mind, and impurity in all of our emotions. It seems that our human faculties of mind and emotions are not what they used to be. It makes it hard to know God. Dr. Donjima Gibson, the professor of pastoral theology at Calvin Seminary, stated in a recent conference that knowledge is both the ability to cognate and the ability to emotionalize. We do need to be thinkers of spiritual matters, don't get me wrong. But we also need to be aware of our human emotional needs and our damaged human emotions because they influence our motivations towards self-preservation, not mutual love. Our own spirits need to investigate our own deep things. The most severe examples of this are the various kinds of addictions that control human behavior. One alcoholic related this struggle when she shared how she repressed her own mind screaming, no, 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 don't do it. And her own body physically revolting against the drug that she so desperately needed to ease her emotional pain. But consider also just binge-watching, playing that game on your phone for the umpteenth time, mindlessly scrolling through your phone, or emotional eating. These are all emotional responses that trump any rational responses that we may have. So brothers and sisters, we must not underestimate the power that our emotions also play in our lives. They need to be cared for because they are powerful tools for our wisdom to be complete. There is great knowledge to be, to be won, one about who we are and who God is through the process of this healing. And finally, after Paul's explanation on the Holy Spirit, he states in verse 216 that we have the mind of Christ. Christ, fully God and fully human, with all his own intellect and emotions. And in Luke 2, we learn about his own, at the, about the beginning of how his own human quest for knowledge began in a manger. And interestingly, this chapter also includes story of his being in crisis. 
At 12 years old, he was abandoned in Jerusalem. I wonder what the crisis for him would have been like when he realized that his earthly parents were not perfect, loving, and faithful. His being God, though, he was able to flawlessly manage his emotional crisis. And in Luke 2.52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And Jesus finally finished his quest for spiritual wisdom on the cross. And he made it possible for us to join him in it through the shared experience of the Holy Spirit. Now, the story of a well-born child can be interpreted through the lens of knowing. Once a child is born, and perhaps even before they journey through the uterine veil, a, a, a child begins to gain knowledge and wisdom through what they experience. It's different for each child, maybe depending on how they're gifted. Some arrive with their eyes wide open, ready to receive and interpret the faces into which they peer. And some are disquieted by the many new sensations that they are experiencing. And some arrive ready to learn everything about the physical world, and they seem to just want to play. But once life begins, there's an experiential quest for knowledge and wisdom. This knowledge provides the wisdom to deepen our understanding of self and God. And our hope in times of crisis is that the Holy Spirit partners with us in that quest. Through Christ, the Holy Spirit is our trustworthy teacher of wisdom. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, as you proceed from the Father and the Son, full of love, never leave our human spirits, for we have great need. Holy Spirit, teach us profound wisdom for discernment of issues and deepening of relationships. Holy Spirit, continue to redeem our broken humanity. For crises leave us scared, hurting, uncertain, ashamed. Holy Spirit, redeem all of these emotions so that we may fully know ourselves and fully know our God. In the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.